It's my pleasure to worship our Lord together with you this morning. My name is Matt Calioma, and I come from St. Michael, Minnesota. Um, I'm here with my wife, Katrina, my daughter, Jemima, and my son, Asa, this morning. And uh, we are glad members at Northwest Bible Church in St. Michael. I've lived in Minnesota all my life, and this spring I've just graduated from Bethlehem Seminary here in Minneapolis. And now it is my pleasure to bring to you the word of the Lord. Our text this morning is Psalm 21. Please find this text in your Bibles. Psalm 21. I will be reading from the ESV. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire, and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow on him, for you make him most blessed forever, you make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. This is the word of the Lord. Many of us were arrested and spellbound earlier this year at the site of the coronation of King Charles III, the King of England. And this is because kings are a scarce commodity these days, and we don't often observe them in the way that the original singers of this psalm could see kings. The coronation provided for us modern people the a glimpse of the majesty of a king ritually ascending his throne. We saw the gold, and we saw all of the various items pulled from different parts of the United Kingdom for this ceremony. We saw King Edward's chair, we saw the stone of scone, we saw the crown, we saw the rod, we saw the scepter, and we heard the people say in a ringing voice, God save the king. And we saw this glimpse of a strong and majestic king ascending his throne. And I bring this up because the psalm that we read today is, first and foremost, a royal psalm. 
This psalm was written by God's king for God's people to sing about his king. And the main point of the psalm is this. God is for the king. God has saved the king, and God will avenge the king. This morning, we are going to approach this psalm by looking at it through three different lenses. If you've ever used a nice microscope, like a biology microscope, you know that they commonly have a set of rotating lenses, three lenses with three different magnifications. And without moving the slide, as you, as you change lenses, you see strikingly different things. And the Bible is like that. The Psalter is like that. In the Psalter, we find deep layers of meaning. And so... This morning, I aim to show you how to read this psalm through three different lenses. The first lens is Jesus' lens. Sorry, the first lens is David's lens. The second lens is Jesus' lens. And the third lens is the Christian's lens. So, first, David's lens. For background, Psalm 20 and Psalm 21 go together. They are meant to be read together. They share a title, To the Choir Master, a Psalm of David. And in Psalm 20, we see the people praying to God on behalf of the king, praying for God to save the king. And Psalm 21 is the response to to God's salvation that they requested. David asked God for salvation in Psalm 20, and in Psalm 21, he is standing looking back at how God answered his prayer. Psalm 20 says, God, save the king. And Psalm 21 says, God has saved the king and God will save the king. We see the the last words of Psalm 20. O Lord, save the king. We see these, these linguistic connections with Psalm 21 where Psalm 21 begins, O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices. In Psalm 20, the people pray, may we shout for joy over your salvation. That's Psalm 20, verse 5. And again, in the first verse of Psalm 21, the people exalt in your salvation how greatly the king exalts. In Psalm 20, verse 4, the people pray, may he, God, grant you, the king, your heart's desire. And in Psalm 21, verse 2, the people looking back say, you, God, have given him, the king, his heart's desire. So these psalms are connected. A cry for deliverance and thanksgiving for that deliverance. I want to take this opportunity, looking at it through David's lens, to talk about the structure of the psalm. After the title, in verses 1 through 7, we see how God saved the king. We see in verse 2 that God gave the king his heart's desire. And what What was David's heart's desire? What was the king's heart's desire? Verses 3 through 6 describe that. First of all, you see, in verse 4, he asked life of you. David asked for life. Let me not die. God gave him that. God gave him glory. God gave him splendor. God gave him majesty. God gave him a crown of fine gold. But most significantly, at the end of the list, in verse 6, we see 
You make him glad with the joy of your presence. God filled David with the joy of his own presence. As the kingly head of the people of Israel, David was the chief worshiper, and God met him. God did not withhold himself from David. And verse 7 gives us the reason why God answered David's prayers. It is because David trusted in the Lord. That's verse 7. So the first half of the psalm describes how God saved the king and gave him his heart's desire and answered all his prayers. The second half of the psalm then looks forward. In verses 8 through 12, we see that God will avenge the king. We see this language. And pay attention to the pronouns. The the people move from addressing God in verses 1 through 7 to addressing the king directly in verses 8 through 12, just like they addressed the king in the previous psalm, in Psalm 20, verses 1 through 5. Now the people turn from God and they address the king and they say, your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. So that's the psalm. Past salvation, the people celebrated and they anticipated future vengeance on behalf of the king. The psalm ends with a praise to God in verse 13. You see verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. The people know that when God blesses their king, that means blessing for them as well. So as we read this psalm with David in mind, we see and we feel the fact that this psalm came from the pen of an ancient king. None of the psalms sprang from nowhere. They all came from real human beings, from their hearts, uh, and they express real emotions and prayers and desires that those people felt, and this psalm is no exception. But now you may be sitting here, and, and you hear that, and you say, well then, why does this psalm matter to me? Because I'm not sitting under King David. King David is dead. And I'm not English. I'm not under any king. So then, if we turn to the next lens, we can see that this psalm bears an unmistakable reference to Jesus, David's greater son. This psalm does bear direct continuity to us. David lived a Jesus-shaped life. Because God is God, he has sovereignly ordained to tell us about his Son, not only through the words of the prophets, but also through the lives of certain saints of old as they walked. And God led David through Jesus-shaped sufferings and triumphs to give us a picture beforehand of the one who was to come. You think about David crossing the Kidron Valley in tears, betrayed by his friend Ahithophel as his enemies were marching toward him, seeking to destroy him. And you see how a thousand years later, Jesus crossed the same brook after being betrayed by his friend. David, David's life prefigured Jesus' life in many ways. And we know 
that God promised an everlasting throne to, to David and to his offspring. And if we are Christians, we confess that Jesus is that offspring. He is the rightful heir to that throne and to that kingdom. So as Christians, this is what I'm saying. The primary way for us to read and sing and pray this psalm is as a praise to our King, who even now is reigning from His throne. Therefore, how can we read this text with reference to Christ? Let's go through it again, beginning in the first verse. When we read, O Lord, in your strength the King rejoices, we see that Jesus rejoices in God's strength. Where is Jesus right now? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of his Father. And what is he doing? Now, Jesus is rejoicing in God's strength. He is rejoicing in his Father's salvation. God saved the king from death. God saved Jesus from the grave. And how does that make Jesus feel? It makes Jesus feel glad. The king rejoices. Jesus is the happiest man who lives because Jesus has experienced total blessing from his father. When we read this psalm, we're also supposed to understand that God gave Jesus his heart's desire. Jesus asked for things from God, and God did not withhold the request of Jesus' lips. God answered Jesus' prayers, and Jesus is still praying, and God is still answering Jesus' prayers. Jesus daily intercedes. And what did Jesus ask for? Well, in this psalm, he asked for life. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. When Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit, the question was, would God save him? And we know that, yes, God did save him. God saved the king. God said, my son, I give to you eternal life. You asked this of me. I will not withhold the request of your lips. God gave Jesus a crown of gold. God gave Jesus rich blessings, glory, splendor, and majesty. Verse 5. And, most significantly, God has given Jesus the joy of his own presence. Verse 6. King Jesus delights above all to be in the presence of his Father. Jesus loves to be with God more than anything else. In Psalm 45, 7, which is also a clear reference to Jesus, the psalmist addresses Jesus and says, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. God has made Jesus very happy. God has not withheld any blessing from his king, but he's taken them all and poured them out on his head. And this is because, verse 7, Jesus trusts God perfectly and forever. Therefore, Jesus will not be moved. So, in the first half of the psalm, we see how God answered King Jesus' prayers by giving him the throne of David to sit on forever and ever. Now, 
we know as we look at the second half of the psalm, God will be with Jesus looking forward to defeat his enemies, anyone who would stand up against him. When Jesus came to us before, Jesus came into the world in the usual way. He came to us weak and stricken and clinging to his mother. And when he came, few people knew that he had arrived. But when Jesus comes to us for the second time, everyone will know it. Jesus will come to us with a sword. He will come to spill the blood of all who hate him. Read the second half of the psalm in the light of King Jesus' reign. Verse 8, Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. God and the king are fighting together to vanquish the king's enemies. And we know that this is a picture of the final judgment. Paul confirms this for us. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes, The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This is the return of the king. Now, it is very possible that you are in this room today as an enemy of King Jesus. If Jesus returned, would he look at you and say, there is one who hates me? Now, you might hear that and say, well, of course not. Of course I don't belong in the category of one who hates Jesus. Of course I am not one of those who does not know God. I I don't belong with those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus. But listen to the warning of the Lord. Jesus said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a call for us to examine ourselves. Can you imagine arriving at the day of judgment and being blindsided by such a rebuke? So please examine your life. Examine your life. Look at your time. Where do you spend your time? Look at your money. Where do you use your money? Where do your calendar and your checkbook betray your heart to be? Is your life marked by prayer, scripture, and generosity? Can you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit within you? Do you experience a longing for prayer and a desire for his word? Or are you a slave, as you examine your life today, are you a slave to some sin and you secretly love it? Do you not even try to fight it? Because in reality, you like it and you don't want to be separated from it, even though you know it to be sin. Is it true that you don't really care about obeying Christ? Have you failed to submit to baptism and to join one of Jesus' churches? If If you are looking at your life honestly and 
God is showing you that it is not indeed a Christian life, then the first thing that you need to do is you need to be afraid. Because Jesus will return and your whole life will fall away from you as emptiness. You will have wasted it and you will die in your sins. And in that day, it will be too late for you to repent, whether you die a natural death or the Lord returns. So the time for you to repent is today. And the good news is that there is hope for you. If you are hearing my voice, there is hope for you. The Bible says so. The Bible says whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. As long as there is breath in your lungs, the opportunity stands for you. The offer of forgiveness remains on the table. You must understand that it is impossible for you to please God on your own, no matter what, by trying to live a righteous life. Jesus, the king himself, died. This is why he came and died. Jesus, the king himself, died to take the punishment for your sins. And if you trust in Jesus, God will forgive your sins. If you turn and follow him, you can live and not die. Please trust and obey God's Son. If you desire to take hold of life today, please make it known to someone at this church. The people here are willing and eager to help you know, to help you love and serve King Jesus. And brothers and sisters, we must note, when God takes vengeance on his enemies... It is a good thing. It is included in this song of praise. The saints praise God for his vengeance. Justice has been satisfied. Right after describing the judgment rendered by the Davidic king, the psalm closes with the words, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Now, to the children... To the children, this is what the psalm says to you. The psalm says, Jesus is your king. Jesus is your mother's king. Jesus is your father's king. And God gave you, your mom and your dad, to teach you how to love and serve King Jesus. And that's your job right now. So listen to them and ask them how to serve King Jesus. Your parents will be happy to teach you. They'll be glad that you asked them. Learn from your parents and watch them. Observe their way of life. Your job right now as a child is to learn what the king did for you, who he is, and how you are to respond to him. To the youths, this is what I say, to the youths, this psalm was given to the king's people. And as you have grown up under your parents and as you have learned that Jesus is your king and that Jesus is your mother's king and your father's king, now you must learn as you walk into a hostile world how to be proud that Jesus is your king. Because look at the way in which the the citizens of God singing this psalm are proud that Jesus is their king. And this is a whole nother skill from just learning that Jesus is the king. 
Now you must learn, as young people about to enter the world, how to communicate the kingly reign of Jesus to the people around you, how not to be silenced by the world. You must learn to tell others that Jesus is king and not to be ashamed of the gospel. We just passed through this summer what some people are calling Pride Month, and many of us feel the pressure from our coworkers, from our friends, from our classmates to be ashamed of the gospel. We feel this pressure. And when you t- if, if and when you have the courage to tell other people, actually, this that you are proud of is a reason for shame. This is sin. Then they will ask you, how do you know that? And you need to be ready in that moment to tell them the proper answer is because God says so. Because God says so in his word. And if you have the courage, you learn to say this, I can make you two promises. The first promise is this. At times when you tell unbelievers the reason for the hope that is in you and the reason for your confidence, people will laugh at you and mock you and ridicule you. You will lose friends and you will make enemies. That is a reality. And that doesn't feel good. But the second promise is this. You will have peace in your soul. You will never feel so good as when you know that you are obeying your king in the face of opposition. And this is, this is, hard. This is hard to learn and hard to do. And this is part of your job now as youths, is to learn how to stand firm in the evil day as men and women. You will not be bothered by the hatred of the world. Consider the dignity of the martyrs. The martyrs were unflappable. And the reason why the martyrs weren't bothered by the overt hatred of the world is because they knew that by obedience they were in fellowship with King Jesus. And you will feel that same confidence. Your classmates are not the king. Satan is not the king. Jesus is the king. And we should be glad to tell people that. If you tell people that, you will not be put to shame. Furthermore, you know that King Jesus is able to make you happy. King Jesus is able to make you very happy forever, so that you will be able to say, with the the writer of the Proverbs, or with the psalmist, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So, brothers and sisters, when we read and sing this psalm, We must primarily be rejoicing with our King, Jesus, for how God has blessed him. This is the primary lens. The Messianic King is the person whom this psalm is talking about. But there's also a way in which this psalm applies to each of us as the King's subjects as well, because of our union with Christ. So this is the third lens. This is the Christian's lens. As believers... In Jesus, the Bible teaches that we are united to Christ. We are so closely united to Christ that we are constantly spoken of as his very body. And as his body, all the blessings that come down upon the king's head do not leave us untouched. 
When he is blessed, we are blessed along with him. As with the king, so with the people. When he is happy, we are happy. When he gets life, we get life. When he enters into the presence of God, he makes a way for us to follow him. Remember, remember the king's greatest blessing. God made the king glad with the joy of his presence. End of verse 6. The chief of the list of the blessings of God. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. This, I'm saying that this applies to us as well. In Christ, we already dwell with God now. The Holy Spirit lives in us. But in the future, we have hope that we will see God with our eyes. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We have hope that in the future we will see God. Perhaps there are some of us sitting here today. This is a remarkable thought. Perhaps there are some of us sitting here today who within one year's time or two years' time will be gone from us and with the king. Think about that. And some of you fathers and mothers among us are beginning to sense the time of your departure drawing near. And your heart is beginning to beat faster because you know that henceforth there is laid up for you the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to you on that day. And your anticipation is growing like it did as the day of your marriage approached. And you are the envy of us all. And to you, I say, press on right up until the day when the Lord gathers you. Imitate the apostle in carrying your labor through until that day. And when that day comes, you will greet it with open arms and tears of joy. We must be able to be described as a God-entranced people. As we travel across the sea of this life, are we sustained and carried day by day by our solid hope of heaven's shores? Do we understand how happy it will make us to see our king? Have you ever been separated for too long from someone that you loved? Do you remember, do you remember how it felt when you saw them again? Do you remember the waves of relief when you saw their face? Only imagine the gladness that will overcome you, Christian, when you see the face of your king. God promises, your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. There will come a day when you see your king face to face and when you can hear his voice in your ears. There will come a day when every last sinful impulse will be removed from you in a moment. May we be people now who live to be ready for that day. Finally, brothers and sisters, see the last words of this song. David closes 
by saying, Be exalted, O Yahweh, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. May this be our cry. May this be the deepest desire of our hearts. Jesus and the apostles cry likewise. The Lord prayed, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. The loud voices in heaven said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the elders said, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you saved the king. He committed his spirit into your hands, and you brought him out of the grave and into glory. And we know that he is coming soon and that you will swallow up all his enemies in your wrath. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, Lord Jesus, we pray to you. Our eyes look to you. Our souls ache to behold you. Come and save us from all our troubles. Come and save us from the diseases that afflict our bodies. Come and save us from the sin that remains in our flesh. Come and save your people from persecution and from the hatred of the world. Come, save the sons of Adam from their bitter toil and the daughters of Eve from their hard labor and bring us into your blood-bought rest. Already you are reigning from your heavenly throne. May your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.